This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. I majored in theater in college. From the moment I made that decision, the most common question I received from friends and family was, how do you plan to make money? While I was generally lucky in the support I received, that question carries with it an inherent skepticism about the value of studying theater. In the society we live in, the ability to earn money so often provides instant respect and celebration to a profession. You know, no one actually knows what hedge fund managers do, but they earn a lot of money, so they must be doing something right, right? In this week's story, our teller finds herself fighting to celebrate the invisible work she does and to seize the opportunities to make it visible, even just to herself. Recorded live in September 2021, Second Story is proud to present On Imminence. It's February 2019. We're in the glittering lobby of a high-rise office building in downtown Chicago. Successful executives stream in through revolving doors and tailored coats and expensive boots. Their footsteps rise and fall, the click-clack of success resounding in the vast entry hall. There's a chorus of beeps and dings and pings and chimes and iOS ringtones and... That's me. The one in the ill-fitting work clothes with dark frizzy hair. Next to an upside-down snack cart I'd failed to push inside the elevator. I dropped to my knees and gathered the snacks and sodas, soy milks and coffee that had fallen on the floor. I ignore everyone and everyone mercifully ignores me as I push the cart and the wheels get stuck. The elevator wails, emergency, emergency, and it was. I was going through a phase where I couldn't find a steady job, so instead I found metaphors in everything. The toppled cart was just another symbol of the precarity of politics, of capitalism writ large, the instability of modernity, post-modernity, but adulthood most of all. It's not you, it's neoliberalism, my reflection in the elevator says, trying to comfort me on the way up. I pushed the cart towards the tech company where I'd been temping for a while. Just until our regular girl is back from leave, the HR rep had stressed in our interview. Totally understood, I nodded back. I was relieved. A part-time job meant I could keep applying to full-time ones with health insurance and a 401k, whatever that was. Somewhere in the cart, my phone buzzes and buzzes again, but for now I ignore it and I start on what I call the snack routine. First to the cabinets where I refill the shelves, then to the fridges where I straighten the LaCroix and Coke Zeros and sort the K-cups by roast into small glass bowls. The river glimmers from the windows behind me, the water getting darker by the hour, as I restock this and replenish that, refilling, replacing, reorganizing my way around the office. But now it's onto my favorite thing, arranging the fresh fruit that's shipped to the office. I pull out the apples and oranges, kiwis and dragon fruit, and think about the women in my family back in Iran. How would they do this? How would they balance the fruit's different shapes, colors, and sizes? Growing up, I would watch them for hours, mesmerized by their every move. My grandma on her balcony hanging clothes on the line, my aunt chopping parsley, the mountains glinting through her windows. There was an elegance in these movements and an expertise too, but there was also something else, like there was something I couldn't quite place lurking in their everyday actions, in their bowls of fruit, overflowing dangerously and yet masterfully arranged, not one grape or apricot out of my phone. On top of temping, I'd also been managing the social media, 
for a film about gender inequality. That would be the producer. Sadaf, can you post? She and the director had emailed me a while ago asking if I could help prep and launch the Kickstarter. Just one or two posts a week is enough, the producer had specified in her email. We don't want to overwhelm you. Famous last words, I think to myself as I wiped on the countertops in the tech company. Eleven years ago, I was a second year in college and deeply vexed about my future. I'd failed my law final, meaning that the pre-law, then law school, then law firm steps I'd envisioned myself climbing had collapsed. For my exam, I'd written passionately on Roe versus Wade and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I hadn't actually answered any of the questions, and worst of all, I thought I had. Now what, I worried, and pulled out my reading for a gender studies class. House and Home, Feminist Variations on a Theme, was written in bold type on the title page. Underneath, the text continued by Iris Marion Young. I didn't know who she was, but I liked the idea of reading about home. I wondered which home her essay would remind me of, my hometown in Michigan, the many in Iran, or maybe the most recent one I'd found in. This is Washington and Wells. I hop on the train on my way home from the tech company. Yes, a seat. I tweet and I engage, I share, comment, and like. I hashtag and at as the train makes its way around the track. International Women's Day is two weeks away, which is when we decide to launch the Kickstarter. Um, the producer, director, and I are all in overdrive, but feel so behind. There always seems to be a status to update, an article to share, an influencer to research. It's an endless cycle of retweeting this and repurposing that, rewarding, rewriting, revising our digital world. We can't be too angry, you know, the producer tells me over the phone. Totally understood, I reply. I scroll through old posts and delete one about me too. This isn't what I thought feminism was supposed to be. Iris Marion Young was a political theorist and feminist and reading her work was an experience I can only describe as revelatory, transformative. When I read House and Home, I felt alive, my heart an equal player to my mind. In her essay, she describes the concept of dwelling, which is made up of two parts, constructing and preserving. Constructing, and please forgive my use of the dumb gender binary here, is the man stuff. It's building the structures, the things that last, the physical and metaphorical markers of self-expression. Preserving, on the other hand, is about survival, not subjecthood. It's the cooking and the cleaning, the laundry and the child rearing, the hundreds of tasks that keep you healthy and alive, the quote unquote women's work. According to Young, this household labor is called eminence because it's cyclical, routine, and never-ending. It's often invisible and undervalued, which is contrasted with transcendence, the labor that moves someone upwards in the world, going to law school, acquiring wealth, winning a battle, or making a film. At the time of Young's writing, it was mostly men who could pursue transcendence, while women were tasked with eminence. Consequently, the home wasn't, and isn't, always a peaceful place. It can also be oppressive, hiding violence behind a white picket fence. I think about the women in my family back in Iran, my grandma on her sunny balcony, my aunt at her kitchen window. They didn't have a choice in becoming housewives and the regime restricted what they could do. But despite this, or maybe in spite of it, they chose to make their homes beautiful, down to the last cherry, to the curves in the crystal bowl. In so doing, Young seemed to be saying, women can transform oppression into liberation, domesticity into resistance. In the home, women turn mundane acts into moments of self-expression, a profound subjectivity. I realized it wasn't just elegance or expertise I'd noticed all those years ago. 
It was power. And reading Jung's work gave me the language to describe it. And then I knew it wasn't law I wanted to pursue. It was gender studies. At the tech company, the women's group wants to host an event for International Women's Day. Of course, I explain when they ask if I can help. I'm relieved. This will mean at least one more week of work. Each day I come in, I worry it's my last. You know, I continue. I majored in gender studies back in college. We can't be too feminist, they quickly, quickly advise. Totally understood, but I don't. In a social media meeting, we discuss what would happen if the fundraiser fails. I'll just live off my husband, the producer says, and I'll live off my ex-husband, the director replies. Alimony, you know. We can't be too angry, I chide to myself. I glance at the clock and then at the calendar, the Kickstarter coming closer and closer. The tech company's women's group has a meeting and I wheel more chairs into the conference room. So everyone can have a seat at the table. I hover for a moment before retreating back to the front desk and watch their meeting through the glass. With a terrible sinking feeling, I think about how it wasn't the patriarchy that had put me in, put them in there and me here. It was me. I was the one who couldn't find a job, who had agreed to help with the film. I was the one who had learned everything about transcendence and gender studies, but that didn't stop me from being here like so many others before me, replicating and reproducing the work that never ends. Did it enrich my life or ruin it, seeing eminence everywhere? We did it, the producer emails in all caps. Sadaf, can you post? $40,000 in 72 hours. Thank you to everyone who helped us reach our goal. On it, I replied. I am genuinely excited. All those hours and posts, videos and photos and comments and statuses had all been worth it. Transcendent, maybe. For the first time in months, I smile at my phone. Sadaf, can you post? Help us reach our stretch goal, $10,000 by the end of the month. I am exhausted. It's springtime. I should be checking social media or applying for jobs, but I don't. I decide to take care of my home instead. The sink is full of dishes and then the sink is empty. The floorboards have collected dust and now they're swept clean. I chop the onion and stir the stew. I realize feminism is not just an idea to be grasped, it's a dwelling too. One that requires constant organizing and reorganizing, cleaning messes and cleaning them again. A journey of restoring and renewing, re-examining, rethinking, reorienting. I drape a hand's width of grapes over tangerines, moving them this way and that, and think about the women in my family, back in Iran. All of us in our own time zones, our own spaces, arranging bowl after bowl of fruit, far away but together, separate and yet the same. This story was produced by Ali Drum and Casey Truba, curated by Amanda Delheimer, and directed by Josh Weinstein, with music and sound design by Isa Arciniegas. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi Nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Paul M. Angel Family Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, James Lupo, Jessica Wetmore, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this is, is the Second, Second Story Podcast.